Dallas Bible Church today. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, in these times when we have lots of things that we're in doubt about, we know that we have a sure thing with you and your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you, Father, to help us all keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things on earth. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ's willingness to go to the cross, the fact that he died for our sins, and that you raised him from the dead on the third day, and that whoever simply believes this good news about our Lord Jesus Christ will never perish but have eternal life. And Father, today we ask, too, that the Holy Spirit may guide and direct us in all that we'll be doing here this morning. We also pray for the needs of the saints, both here and around the world, and anybody who's in any suffering or pain or difficulty, Father, in particular, we pray for this morning. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.
Good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> A title of today's message comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Continue in entreaties and prayers. Continue in entreaties and prayers. It's never been better advice than it is today, even though this was course, presented 2,000 years ago in connection with the widows and the congregation at Ephesus. All right, a couple of announcements before we do get started today. The first one is, is next Sunday is the first Sunday of December, and therefore we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together at the end of service next Sunday. As we've announced for the past uh, couple of months, there is a, um, a Christmas care package uh, drive that Grace Bible Church Pakistan conducts every year so that they have gifts to give the young people um, in their congregation and in the surrounding villages. Um, Christmas care packages. They are, they are two kinds, one for the older kids, one for the younger kids. Um, believe it or not, the deadline is this Wednesday. So because of that, I want to give you a quicker way in case you wanted to give and haven't had the chance yet. And that is just to go to their website, which is www.gbcpakistan.org. www.gbcpakistan.org. You can also find a leak, leak, link on our website as well, if, if that's easier for you. Um, I won't be talking too much about leaks this morning, but that's another story. <clears throat> um, if you get to their website, you can get to the donations page, and that's probably way too small. But basically, I want you to let you know that you can use PayPal or any credit card there. And of course, as always, you can indicate that your gift is for the Christmas care package, and they'll make sure that they, they use it for that purpose. All righty, so with that, let's begin. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll get started with the message today. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, we've, of course, we've now started in chapter 5 and beginning here in the passage this morning and really all the way through most of the rest of the letter, Paul is going to address Timothy with respect to different classes of people in the congregation. Here we have widows and we have Paul, Timothy himself and how we should behave towards the different members of the congregation, be that the, the older men or the younger ladies and everything in between. Then he turns to the subject of the widows and here there's a responsibility not only 
for the family, but also for the congregation and for the widows themselves. So even though it's one subject, there are actually, he's addressing three different groups as he does so. And then he'll continue throughout most of the rest of the letter. But here, when in talking about Timothy, how he should handle his relationships with other members in the Ephesian church, he begins with a theme that he'll carry through throughout his whole discussion here in chapter 5, and that theme is family. Remember, now, the saints in Ephesus had experienced attacks. They were, des- they were designed to destroy the congregation. So the church needed to heal. It's one of the reasons why Paul sent Timothy there in the first place. And, and Paul gives a simple cure to Timothy and it, to, be, to be passed on to every member of the congregation. And it's really simple. Treat one another as fellow members of a spiritual family. Treat one another as fellow members of a spiritual family. Because indeed, that's who we really are now. We really are a spiritual family. Each one of us has been adopted into the God's family. We're members of his household. And what, what, what Paul is saying through Timothy is that now that you know that, live that way. We see that again and again and again in the epistles. Here's some great revelation about yourselves, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the future. Now that you know this about yourself, you know who you are, live according to that. Now that you know that we are all members of God's household, then we ought to treat each other accordingly. Now he's going to talk about that in the spiritual realm. Then he's going to go back and he's going to talk about it in the natural realm, meaning actually now if you're going to be thinking of members of the spiritual family, you first have to get your act together with your natural family. And that's why he's going to talk about the responsibilities that people have towards the widows in the congregation. And he's going to make the point at the end that when you look at some of these things related to how you deal with the people that you have a duty to take care of, you have to understand that even the world has these standards. So how can we as Christians be any less than that? We should be more than that. But in any event, that's his theme, the family and to treat one another as members of one spiritual family. I'd like you to please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We see this, the fact that we are members of one household now, and that we are also members one of another. Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, And you are, notice, of God's household. We are all of God's household. He's our father. We're his children. We all relate to one another as members of the family. So the congregation needed to be built up and nurtured. And what better way than to tell everybody that we're members of the same family. We ought to treat each other that way. Now, I almost hesitate. I wonder if if Paul did too at this point because, you know, in, in, in the real world, so to speak, families have a lot of problems. You know, I mean, uh, parents aren't always treated the way that they're supposed to be. And, and, and brothers and sisters don't always treat themselves very well either. So we have to get our mind off our experience of family and onto God's design for family if we're going to make progress here. So, you know, a lot of people have had terrible um, experiences with their fathers in particular. You have to move off that. One good way is to say that, think about this not so much in terms of your father or at all, but rather Jesus Christ's father. 
and think about it in those terms, and then you'll be in the right place to understand. And even though we may not have had that experience in, our, in the families we grew up in, or even in the families we're in today, there's something about um, our, what we've been given by God where we recognize the ideal and, and, and are drawn to it, even if our reality is different. You know, to give you another example, um, in the in most of the See, green? Can you all see the green now? It's good. Back in business. I got the green light to continue preaching. All right, so again, (laughs) we are um, all members of one household. We shouldn't be focused so much on our experience, our human experience, but rather God's ideal. Okay? And in in so doing, we'll have a successful way to understand how we to treat one another. The way a good... A good son, if I could call it that, would train his father, all right, and, and so forth. So, so he first gives that appeal, where he says, listen, tell them to, um, uh, well, actually, uh, let me back up for a minute. He, he, Paul is now, the first thing he does is he says to Timothy first, this is what I want you to do. And that's a good thing, because, you know, um, leaders have to be trained up and uh, humbled and critiqued first. We, you know, leaders have to be um, trained up and uh, developed in whatever it is that they're then going to turn around and ask their people to do. And so the same thing here. First thing that Paul does is, is he's instructing Timothy himself. He's saying, I want you to take the lead in how you treat the different members in the congregation at Ephesus. He appeals to his be di- different members in different ways. The older members, of, of the older men as fathers, the older women as mothers, uh, younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. So he sets that out. And again, the ideal of how you should treat a father, a mother, a brother, and a sister. After that, he then gives a set of principles. This is what we've just read in the passage um, regarding the care of widows in particular in the congregation. And we'll see that widows in that day and age, as was also true in the Old Testament, were a major concern of the Lord. Big reasons for that were, given what was going on at that time, many of the widows had no means of support once their husband died. Often they had to live alone. Okay, so in those situations, they were truly destitute. They were truly 
totally dependent on the Lord. And so the Lord says, now I'm going to ask my people to take care of you. That was true in the Old Testament. James talks about the widows and the orphans. And here, Paul talks about the widows also. So we'll see all of that. Again, it's important, it was important then in particular because many of the widows were penniless, destitute. Some were completely alone. They, they, they didn't have a household they were a part of. They were living on their own. Therefore, they needed special care and concern from everybody in the picture, whether it's family members or failing that, the church. So again, the simple message this morning is this. It's all about family. Let's go back to verse 1 and 2, 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. I don't know, but there's something jarring Um, Whenever you see a younger man attacking verbally an older man, there's just something not right about that. And so while Paul had some things that he had to say to the older men, I mean Timothy rather, Paul is saying do it in a certain way that shows respect. Do it in a way that is not severe. Do it in a way that is honoring the man. He's older. He's been through things you haven't. So honor him in that way. Or in other words, do it in a loving way. And, and, of course, if we were just to take that first part and apply it to all our relationships in life, then we wouldn't really need to go any farther than that. If we were to treat older women as our mother, that just basically means to love them in a certain kind of way. To treat every, all, the, all the younger men as brothers, that means to love them in a certain special way. And the same thing with the younger women, to love them in a certain special way in the right way, when it comes to the women. We'll get into that in a minute. So that's what he's telling. He's saying, listen, Timothy, you have a lot of correcting. I know you still need to do. There are a lot of things that are being done in the wrong way, and you need to correct them and sometimes even chastise people. But when it's an older man, okay, do it as you would your own father. Do it in a loving way. Then he tells about the older women. He says, listen, you may have things you have to deal with the older women about, but as you do, consider them as your own mother, an ideal relationship between a son and a mother. Do it with tenderness. Do it with respect. Be gentle. Be kind. And of course, again, these are things that if you look at other places in the New Testament epistles, we're told to be this way with everybody. And we're told that in Colossians 3, be kind to one another, tenderhearted forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And so all of us are asked to be that way toward all everybody, but in particular, when thinking about uh, Timothy or any man's relationship with older men, in terms of that should be respect there, in terms of the older women, love and consideration, kindness and gentleness, appealing to younger brothers. How are we supposed to do that? I mean, younger men as brothers. Yes. Okay. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. Leviticus 19, 32. We're going to stay on the the aged for a little while longer. Leviticus 19, 32. So again, with the older men, do it in a loving way. 
Think about how, you, how ideally a son should treat his father. Older women, think about how a, how a man should treat his own mother with tenderness and respect, gentle and kind. And in this way you will find favor with God. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. Leviticus 19, 32. All the way back then when Moses was giving God's, really God's vision for how a, a society ought to work, how a nation and a community ought to work. And so, and that's the level we're on today in these subject matters. It's not, we're really not talking about anything lofty and super spiritual here. We're talking about something really practical. And unfortunately, it's where Christians fall down, even in cases where worldly people do what they're supposed to do. That's the whole situation here. We can't forget that. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, 32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. How can you show the proper honor and respect and fear of the Lord if you're not doing it to the elderly people in your midst? You know, John would say, how can you say you love God whom you can't see when you're not even loving your brothers and sisters whom you can see? See, a lot of times people are fine with saying, oh, I love God, I love God, and that's fine in, in as far as it goes, but the, the, but the way that you show that is how you love for one another. And here it's the aged, the elderly in particular, one of the great tragedies I have to say about our culture in the United States today is that we're so focused on what's young and what's youthful and healthy that we kind of shunt off our old people, not realizing all the wisdom that they have there, but even more to the point, all the respect and honor that they're due. You think about these people, we're talking about people who raised their children, who went through really hard times, who held their communities together, in some cases went to war for their country, and they gathered a lot of wisdom over those years. And because for whatever reason in our society, we don't value that. You know, we would rather look at a Twitter of 122 characters and think that's what's happening when sitting in the next room is a 75-year-old person who could give us wisdom that could change our lives. But we don't think about it that way. But the Lord certainly does. You know, all throughout his instructions, whether it be to the Jewish people in the Old Testament or here to the church, he's always saying, show respect. Show honor to your elders, to your parents in particular. No different here in Leviticus. All right, so now back in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we know the next thing that um, we want to look at are the younger people. And Paul is giving Timothy the right way to think about it in dealing with younger men, appealing to younger men as brothers. All right, what does that mean? One of the big things it means, if you're an older brother... Never forget that the younger people in the family are looking for a role model. So it's not even so much what you say, but actually how you live your life, what you do. If you, if you want you know, a younger sibling to be respectful, then you ought to be respectful to them. If you, if, if you understand that the way you'd want to be treated by an older brother or a father is a certain way, then why don't you first... Make up your mind that that's how you're going to treat others that are younger than you are. And that's all he's saying here. He's saying be mindful of the needs of the younger men in the congregation. One of which, an important one, is that their need for, for a role model. Now, we're not just talking about a role model in the natural realm, are we, either? Because remember, at this time, Christianity was new. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of pictures about how it ought to be done yet. 
And so that first generation of leadership had that responsibility to basically say, hey, look, you look to me. And Paul would say that again and again. I want you to imitate me. Well, that's only as good as Paul imitating the Lord. If he's not imitating the Lord, if he's going his own worldly way, the last thing you would want to tell anybody is, hey, go imitate Paul. So there was a real burden and responsibility, um, particularly on that first generation of Christian leaders, to live an exemplary life, a loving, sacrificial life, so that those coming up behind would look to them and say, oh, that's how it's done. Okay, role model. They also need guidance and encouragement along with correction. You know, I think when it it comes to parenting um, in particular, people often think about the correction side and they don't look so much at the guidance and encouragement part of that. And those are all together. One without the other really doesn't do the whole job. If you're always encouraging and never pointing out where where they're doing things wrong, where they're being sinful, where they're being rebellious, that's not good because they need to have that feedback and correction. On the other hand, if that's all you're doing, that's not good either because they also need the guidance and the encouragement. And it's much the same when you talk about an older um, man and a younger man, all right? To to think about them as brothers in that way. And then finally, we have the younger women where he says, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. And he adds that expression, in all purity. Because, you see, Paul was wise. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's really wise. And he understood that there's something unique about the relationship between a man and a younger woman. That has to be dealt with and considered in a special way. Again, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. He's saying to Timothy, in your speech and behavior towards the younger women, be very careful that you don't say or do anything that could come across as inappropriate. How many times do we have to learn that lesson in the church before people will take seriously this command? That that, that one of the big temptations and problems and failings that goes on is when particularly leaders like pastors have, have a thing for younger women in the congregation. And, and they, maybe they commit adultery or whatever they're doing. That can break up and destroy the whole congregation. They say it's serious business. He's saying, listen, be very careful and considerate. Think of those women, those younger women, as your sister. The way you would treat your sister, or even better, the way you would want your sister to be treated by an older man is the way you should treat the younger ladies in the congregation. In particular, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, don't give, give no room in your heart at all for selfish motives or carnal motives. In other words, sexual desire. That has absolutely no place. Not only in the, in the actual behavior, but also even in the, in the signals that you may be sending that are the wrong ones. Right? Um, you know, giving, giving special attention to a younger woman. Um, not because she needs it, but because there's something in your selfishness that is being fulfilled there. So he's saying, have, give no room to that sort of thing. Treat her as you would your own sister. Be concerned for her welfare. Protect her. All right. So again, Paul starts out with addressing Timothy and the things that he ought to be mindful of, the way that he ought to treat the members of the family. And then he goes on. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Here we are now on the subject of widows. 
But if any widow has children or grandchildren. Now we're going to see that honoring widows who are widows indeed. While Paul tells this to Timothy. He's actually telling it to Timothy as the head, as it were, of the congregation. He's really addressing the entire congregation when he says that. Honoring widows here, we'll see this in a minute, but it means not only to give respect, but also to provide for their material needs. So he says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Widows indeed is a technical term that Paul uses here. We'll see more of that. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, before the church steps in and takes care of a widow, if there are family members, they should be the ones, that's their responsibility. It's their duty to take care of their grandmother or their mother. Okay, so verse 5. Now, she who is, there's that technical term again, widow indeed. She who is a widow indeed, who meets the characteristics that Paul's going to lay out here, and who has been left alone. They're alone, okay? Has, now, if that's the situation of a widow, she only has one hope now, and that's she has fixed her hope on God. By the way, that, that seems like, and it's a very difficult on one level, to say I have no means of support in the, in the world, among my family anymore even. I'm relying on God. On the other hand, it, 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 is the, it sets the stage for a really deep relationship with God. And that's something else about the life of these widows indeed that is actually a blessing, not only for them, but also for the rest of the congregation. When he tells them they should be continuing in prayer night and day, well, in addition, obviously, who are they praying for? Well, partially they're praying for the congregation. They're also an example to the congregation. It's very much what Paul was saying, uh, if you remember back all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he's saying, listen, you can, uh, if, if you have your daughter... Get married, that's fine, but you know what? It's, it's okay, and maybe even better in certain situations if she's got the gift of celibacy that she doesn't marry because that way she can dedicate herself 100% to the things of the Lord. Okay. So that's, what, that's what's in view here. Now, verse 5 again. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. And then the contrast in verse 6. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. That's a difficult verse. We're going to look at it in some detail. But for now, just note that there's this, this night and day, if I could say it that way, difference between the widow indeed who fixes her hope just on God and her lifestyle is one of godliness, prayers, entreaties, night and day. Let me picture that. And then he says, now the opposite of that. Okay, is a woman who gives herself to wanton pleasure. We're going to see what that means in a minute. The couple of things that are there. It means it doesn't do what the widows indeed are supposed to be doing, which is fixing their hope on God and continuing in prayer and having a godly life. Rather, they're, they're, they're fixated on their own pleasures and everything they do is aimed towards satisfying their own self-indulgence. Those are opposites. All right, verse 7. Prescribe these things as well. In other words, Paul earlier in the letter had some things that he wanted to make sure that Timothy commanded the congregation about. He's saying, here's another set 
I want you to prescribe as well. So that they, okay, everyone in the picture here, the widows, their families in particular, but also the congregation, may be above reproach. But if anyone, and now this is a general statement here, I want you to listen to this. If anyone does not provide for his own, why do I say that's general? Well, because earlier it talked about children and grandchildren of a widow. That's a specific you know, group that cares for a specific person. Here it's general. He's saying if anyone does not provide for his own, that's not limited to the widows anymore. It's anybody who's in need, okay, who is their own, which is their family, and especially those of his household, See, back in this time, there was a head of a household, and it was a man. And it was the man's duty to work and provide the finances for everyone in their household. Now that, by the way, back then, that didn't just mean family members either. Okay, yes, it could be an extended family, their children, maybe their grandchildren, their par- his parents, and so forth. It also meant any servants that were there. They had to take care of their needs as well. But he's saying, if you don't do that, notice what he says. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, they're right there in front of you every day, and you're not taking care of them. He said, he has denied the faith. It doesn't mean he's turned back into an unbeliever. It means that he has denied, by the way he lives, he is denying what he claims to believe, okay? And is worse than an unbeliever. And again, we'll see this. This is not saying, you know, it's funny. When people compartmentalize the Bible and they take one verse totally out of context and they say, you are worse than an unbeliever. Well, if you think about it, if you think about it, generally speaking, in terms of somebody's eternal situation, there's nothing worse than an unbeliever, right? Because they're going to the lake of fire. That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's not saying that in all respects, you are worse than an unbeliever. You know, it'd be better if you had never believed. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about in your behavior now, in this particular part of your life, you're doing things or not doing things that even the unbeliever understands is his responsibility. Okay. So here we are, Paul now turning his attention to the widows in the congregation. He's going to tell, tell Timothy, let people know what their responsibilities are here. He's going to talk about the congregation a little bit family members a lot, and the widows themselves, okay? So, here again, he addresses Timothy directly first in verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Then he's going to deal with the children and grandchildren of widows, the ones that have responsibility, the first duty to these widows are their children and their grandchildren. And then he has expectations for the widows themselves, Honor widows who are widows indeed. The word honor here <laughs> means two things. All right, what well, we normally think of it, you know, honor, respect, but also to provide. You wouldn't necessarily see this in the English, but the word also includes providing for their basic material needs. After all, what would it mean if you were to um, go and visit grandma? And say, oh, you're such a great grandma, I love you so much, you're wonderful, I honor you. And then she doesn't have lunch, and you walk out. And now she has nothing to eat. Well, how much honoring are you actually doing if you don't take care of them with their needs? I know that's a challenge, but it's something we have to take to heart. We have to take to heart. 
Honor means both to give respect and to provide for basic material needs. Now, Paul's talking to Timothy, but by, by, by extension, he's talking to the whole congregation. He's saying to the whole congregation, listen, if there's a widow who has no family, who lives alone, no, no means of financial support, honor that woman. Honor both because, remember, she's godly, and she's continuing in prayer night and day. She's only fixing her hope only on God. But also honor in the sense of providing for her needs. That's, that's, again, if there's no family there, that's the responsibility of the congregation. That's our responsibility. If we have a widow among us, and they have no children or grandchildren, and they're destitute, they have no financial means of support, the congregation has a duty to step in there and take care of their needs. Okay. So again, notice, though, this expression, widows indeed, honor widows who are widows indeed. Again, what is that? All right, this means that they have no means of support. Now, in the first century, this was very common, okay, that a woman, because in the first century, you know, and actually throughout many, many um, uh, centuries thereafter and before, you had a situation where a family only, only ate if their father was working that day, okay? It wasn't like, they, they didn't have, except for the really rich, they didn't have, like, investments, you know, they didn't have 401ks. There was no such thing as social security and so forth, life insurance, okay? They didn't have any of that. So in that situation, it was very common for the widows to have no means of support. Today, it's different, okay? Today, as again, thank the blessings that we have, especially in our country, allows families and the people themselves to save, to make investments, the government has set up a welfare system to take care of the elderly, you know, Social Security and Medicare. So we're living in a different world, but the principle never changes. Okay? If there is a widow indeed and has a financial need, then the church is supposed to take care of it. However, if there's family members in the picture, especially children, they are supposed to take care of it. Okay. Widows indeed, again, no means of support financially, and they've been left alone. Now, why is that important? Well, if they haven't been left alone, that means they're a member of a household. And there's a head of that household. And who has, who's responsible for all the members of the household? The head of the household. So if she were, like we, have, like we, we still have today, used to have a lot where grandpa would die and grandma would be brought into the family, right? She'd live with a family. Well, she's not alone. She may not have any income of her own, but she's being taken care of. Her needs are being taken care of because she's not left alone. Okay, but if that that's if, if if a widow doesn't have any financial means of support and has been left alone, that's what Paul means by a widow indeed. That's what he's talking about. They have no family members to care for them. They live all by themselves. They were destitute and they were desolate. Again, let me repeat: it's the responsibility of the congregation to provide for the needs of those who are widows indeed those who have no family members in the picture, no financial means of support, and live alone. Okay. That's the first thing. Paul wants to make sure, Timothy understands that. He wants to make sure that the congregation understands that their duty is there. But there's something else here as well. That's the responsibility of the congregation, but the widows themselves have a responsibility. This is some... 
You know, without mentioning names, I used to, a couple of times women would, would say, boy, I can't wait till I'm 60. You know, we're going to see that next week. But the magic number back in, but Paul gave Timothy for getting on the list was 60, right? So they would say, well, if I'm widowed by the time I'm 60, I'm all set. Church is going to take care of me. Yeah, but here's what you have to understand. Are you now ready to continue in entreaties and prayers night and day? Are you going to wash the saints' feet? In other words, if you're totally relying on God and the church, then guess what? You have some responsibilities too. Isn't it funny how everyone wants to hear about the goodies. No one wants to talk about responsibility, right? That's the hard part. Just like with, with uh, people, you know, they, they, they have a choice between taking care of a family member and going out and make a big splash for a charitable organization. Guess what a lot of them want to do first or instead? They want to go to the charity. Why? Because they don't have to. There's no duty, and they get a lot of attention. They get, they get a lot of good stuff. You know, you take care of your grandma, and you realize that, you know, she's all alone, and I need to take care of her. That's a burden, you see? We don't like burdens. We'd much rather have places where we're feeling good about ourselves. All right? That's not the way it's supposed to be, though, you see? So there was expectations on both sides. The widows themselves, if they're widows indeed, left alone, Trust entirely on God, no financial means of support, therefore the congregation supported all their needs. Then they were freed in that respect, but they had a reciprocal duty to lead a, lead a life of great godliness, okay? Taken care of. The Bible uh, is going to say later on in chapter 5 that they are to wash the saints' feet and be committed to good deeds and continue in prayer night and day. See, that's the, that's the other side of the coin, all right? So the responsibility of the congregation, responsibility of the widows themselves. Calling, they're called to put their hope in God alone and to pray night and day. Look at verse 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. That's the widow indeed. Now, there were some widows who were not widows indeed. They were widows who had children or grandchildren. In those cases, these family members, not the congregation, have a duty to provide for their mother or their grandmother. You see, this isn't taught much anymore either. See, we have a mentality today that says, ah, they're taken care of. You know, ah, there's Social Security and Medicare. That's all that they need. Or, you know, I bet dad had a life insurance policy, so she's fine. You know, our attitude today is to ignore the widows, not to understand our duty towards them. But the fact of the matter is, is that children and grandchildren have a duty to provide for their widowed mother or their widowed grandmother. See that? Again, that may come as a surprise to a lot of people today because it's just not taught. It's not taught in the world. It's not even taught behind the pulpit a lot. But it's, that's why, by the way, that's one good reason for going through the Bible, you know, verse by verse, because you can't skip over any of this stuff, right? You have to tell it all like it is, you know? Um, and this is part of it. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, to understand our duties to one another, okay? This is one of them. Look at verse 4. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Honor your father 
and mother. Notice it's make some return. And that's a reminder that you want to know whatever it is that you are called to, to give to take care of your grandmother or your mother, that pales in comparison to all the sacrifices that they had to give for you. You see, the things that the parents do for the children when they're young and they bring them up, the things that they need, uh, going to college or other financial support, or all the things, health care, all those kind of things. You know, children live rent-free up to a certain point in time. <clears throat> but, um, you know, and, and their food is taken care of everything, you know, really for like 18 years in our culture today, probably, right? So you think about that, and then you say, well, so if I have to make, I'm making some return. I'm not even paying it all back what, quote, I owe my parents. We never can. But you should make some return. They should realize that you do understand that, they have, you have a, that, they, that you have a duty to them, that you do care about them, that you do put their welfare as a very high priority in your life. You see? That's, that's, what, that's what the Lord is asking us to do. Again, it's a duty. It's a duty. First Timothy 5, 4 again. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their, to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, this is what God expects. If you want to, if you want to say, I'm meeting my duties in front of God, and you have a, a, a mother who's a widow, and you're not taking care of her, you're kidding yourself. Okay? This is acceptable in the sight of God. God expects them, us, and we're in that situation, to provide for their parents. All right, please go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. I know most of you have seen this passage before, but let's go to it again today. Ephesians 6, verse 2. Because here's another reason to take care of your parents, to honor them. Show respect, submit to them, be obedient to them, and also when the time comes to provide for their needs as necessary. Okay. And by the way, we have it easy today. I'll mention this again. We have it easy today because we do live in a world of Social Security and Medicare and insurance and 401ks and all of that stuff. Our parents have made it easy for us. Not all of them, but in many cases. Like, their needs are much less than what would have been the case even, even 150 years ago here in the country. Never mind 2,000 years ago. Nevertheless, we ought, to have that, we ought to have our eyes attuned to possible needs that they may have that aren't being met. Some of them may be very practical needs, you know, like, I don't know, getting a ride here or a ride there. Or, you know, somebody needs, your mom, grandmother needs somebody to sit with them, be with them for a couple of days, you know, those kind of things, right? Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You see, this is the first commandment with a promise. So in other words, even in the, in, in the Old Testament, in the law, in the Ten Commandments, this had a promise associated with it. Okay? And it's a positive command, by the way. A lot of them, you ever notice most of the Ten Commandments are negative? Thou shalt not. This is a thou shalt, and it has a promise <coughs> that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. 
Now, this whole principle of taking care of, your, of the widows in your life is a general statement we'll see later on in verse 8. But now let's go back to verse 5, where the attention turns back to the widows themselves. Let's look at verse 5 again. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. Now, she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead, even while she lives. We have great examples of widows who fixed their hope on God and continued in entreaties and prayers night and day. For example, there was the prophetess Anna. We're coming upon Christmas season now. When Jesus Christ was born, about eight days later, his parents presented him in the temple, presented him to the Lord. And while they were there in the temple, one of the people they met was the prophetess Anna. Let's just look at her a little bit. Please go to Luke chapter 2, holding your place in 1 Timothy 5. Please go to Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Great example of a widow indeed who fixed her hope on God, continued in prayers night and day. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Luke 2, 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. In other words, her husband was dead. They were married seven years and he died. And then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So I want you to have that picture. Right? There was a widow indeed. Husband died. No other means of support. And this time, of course, she was taken care of by the nation of Israel. And that meant that she was to go to the temple and be there. Her hope on God meant she was going to be in the temple. And she would be there night and day fasting and praying. That's a picture of what it meant to be a widow indeed back then. Now, times have changed. We don't have the temple anymore. The principle is the same. The principle is the same. Then, of course, verse 38, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of the Lord to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And that's one of the things that happens. When you're totally dependent on the Lord, you get that deep relationship. What was revealed to her was that this baby coming on in was going to be the redeemer of, 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 of Jerusalem. And as we know, revealed to us the whole world. All right, so then we go to verse 6, back to 1 Timothy (coughs) chapter 5, verse 6. Because here we get that 180-degree turn. Look at verse 6. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. So Paul does a 180-degree turn. He goes from the widows indeed who are lifestyle dependent on God prayers night and day, and then he goes in the opposite way and says, then there's another kind of, another type of, of widow here, and it's what giving herself to wanton pleasure, dead even while she lives. What does this mean? Well, one of the things it meant was that some widows got really desperate and didn't rely on God. And when that happened, they often turned to illicit behavior, need I say any more, to earn money. 
Okay, so that's one category. They weren't going to depend on God. They were going to go out into the world and do what they had to do in order to get money from men, and therefore they'd be taken care of. That's one, that's one meaning of it. Um, but others just lived riotously. In other words, the, the Greek word here for wanton pleasure means self-gratification, carelessness, to indulge oneself excessively in satisfying one's own appetites and desires. In other words, the women could go two ways as widows. They could, they could rely on the Lord, or they could go, you know, let it all hang out, so to speak. Take care of your own needs. I'm just going to live a life of pleasure right now, okay? And so we don't think of that, but that was certainly one of the options that was in play back then, to live indulgently. In other words, Paul is setting up a contrast. He's saying, don't think that every widow is a widow indeed who lives the way they're supposed to. There are others who go in the opposite direction. He's contrasting between the godly lifestyle of those who are widows indeed and the ungodly lifestyle of this other sort of widow. Again, reminding us that there's duties on both sides here. That there is a certain manner of life that a widow who's being supported by the church ought to engage in. Okay. Again, verses 5 and 6. Now she who is a widow indeed and has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. I don't know you, but I don't want to be dead even while I live. A lot of people wonder what this is. It's really straightforward, okay? All this is saying is the way she lived was now no different from the way that unbelievers lived. That's all it meant, dead even while she lived. No different. The way she lived was no different from the lifestyle of an unbeliever. It's kind of what the prodigal father said to when his son came back, right, when he was starving. You know, he said, quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and eat and celebrate. Why? He says this, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Didn't mean physical death. It meant that he lived a life which, which was a life that was no different from somebody who was not a son of the father. He was gone and he came back. All right, verse 7, 1 Timothy 5, 7. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. Paul uses a strong verb here for prescribe these things. It means to command these things, to present these things as principles. That must be heeded and obeyed. These, of course, are the principles that we've just seen in verses 3 to 6. Let me quickly review. The church is to provide for the needs of widows who are widows indeed who have no family, no way to support themselves, live alone. They're fixing their hope on God alone. They're praying night and day. The church must provide for their needs. On the other hand, children and grandchildren ought to provide for the needs of their widowed mother or grandmother so as not to burden the church. Okay? That's their duty. I'm going to say that again. That's their duty. It's not charity. When you're taking care of the needs of your widowed mother, That's not charity. Oh, look how great I am. No, it's your duty to do that. It's your duty to do that. Third, widows are to maintain the standard of a godly lifestyle. So in other words, church has responsibility when the widow has no means of support, no family to support her. 
children and grandchildren, are, if they're in the picture, they're to provide for the needs of the widow. Widows also have a, have a responsibility to maintain the standard of a godly lifestyle, fixing their hope on God, continuing in prayers. The opposite of that, of course, what they're not to do is to give themselves to a self-indulgent lifestyle. Anybody who did that could not expect the church to take care of them. Anybody who does that cannot expect the church to take care of them. And then finally, Paul wraps up this paragraph with a more general statement about family duties. Look at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, this goes beyond children and grandchildren now of widows. The fact of the matter is that God expects all of us to take care of destitute family members. Family members who used to stay down on their luck or family members that have no financial ability to support themselves right now. God expects us to take care of those people when we have the means to do so. And this responsibility falls first and foremost on the heads of households. Okay, those, in, those head of household has a responsibility for all the family members that live in his house. Please turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 as we close today. 1 John 3, 17. You know, I'm going to say this even though it might not be popular. It's bordering on the political, but I don't care. You know, if uh, Christians took seriously what we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, there'd be a lot less clamoring out there for the government to do this and that and the other thing because the people who have the duty to do it would be doing it instead. That's all I'll say on that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's what he's saying. He's saying that you've denied the faith. If, you're not, if you have the ability to take care of a brother in need and you don't do it, how can you say the love of God abides in you? You can't say it, okay? Those who are, these are people who do not, these people who don't take care of brothers and sisters or parents or anybody in their household that is in need, they are denying by their actions what they claim to believe. You know, there's a lot of people who, I was talking about this yesterday with a good friend of mine, a good pastor friend of mine. He was saying there's a lot of people out there who kind of, they, they, they talk the talk. You know, they make a great show of being a Christian. You know, you go on their Facebook account and it's all this and all that. But then, and I'm not judging these people, I have no idea. But then a lot of, in a lot of situations, and I've seen this over the years, they're neglecting their duties. They're not taking care of those around them that they should be taking care of. So be careful about that. Don't be, don't, be, don't be thinking that, you know what, if I'm out there praising the Lord all day, then that's all God expects of me. Wrong. He expects you, if you've got the means to take care of a brother or sister in need, you should take care of them. You see? That's worship too. All right. Titus 1.16 as we close today. Titus 1.16. I'm not saying you shouldn't praise God, by the way. Of course we should. But I'm saying there has to be a balance between what we do in that area of worship and this other area of worship in terms of taking care of one another. 
Titus chapter 1, verse 16. We'll close here. Otherwise, you become like this. Uh, Titus is this, Paul is describing to Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God. Oh, I know God. Do you know him? I know him. But by their deeds, they deny him. It's certainly possible to profess all these things that you believe, but by your deeds, you're denying the Lord that, you, that, you're, that you're professing. Being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Be careful that you don't fall into this place, fall into this trap. Of what you're saying sounds great, but what you're doing is a practical denial of all that the Lord stands for. Don't become that person. And notice at the end, we've read this already, and I'll return there again, but anyone who doesn't provide for his own, has the world's goods, and doesn't take care of a brother or a sister, is actually worse than an unbeliever in his neglect. Not overall. Why? Even an unbeliever knows they're supposed to take care of their own family. This is not some hyper-spiritual special thing for Christians. Really, even the world understands that on some level you should take care of your family. In fact, even the animals do. You know, you watch these shows on Animal Planet or whatever, and you see the mothers taking great care of the children, right? Not so much the other way around, but... That principle of taking care of those who are your own is a universal principle. It's so that someone who, who is a Christian who's not doing that in that area of his life is worse than how the unbeliever behaves. That's all he's saying there. Bottom line, neglecting the needs of parents or siblings or children is shameful. It's shameful. Even according to the standards of the world. That ought to humble us today. Make really sure that you're at least living according to the, the, the standard of taking care of one another that even the world recognizes. And then go beyond that. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Be sacrificial in your love. Because that is what is pleasing to God. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this very practical and challenging passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's got something for all of us. Indeed, every one of us in some way has to be challenged by these words today. We would also, Father, ask that we not only hear them today, but we we translate them into action tomorrow. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) All right, a couple of reminders. We have Bible study on Skype this Thursday, 6.30 p.m. At the end of that Bible study, we have our prayer session every week. Well, by the way, our giving policy is uh, we, are, we are to imitate the Lord, that we are to give freely out of gratitude. Um, and a couple of means of doing that. Um, you can give it here in the box in the back on web, mail. And uh, that's what it looks like online. And that's our mailing address. All right, there's one other thing that I need to talk about this morning has to do with our church building. We're in a situation today where we have far too much building for the people. This thing is way beyond our needs. Not only that, but our situation now financially is such that we really can't afford it. Okay? Not just it, but all the other expenses okay, that are around it. And so we'll always leave room 
for the miracles of God, but we also have to be practical. Mark, Jack, and I have sat down and thought about this and tried to figure out how we can make it work. And it looks probable at this point that the best way to make it work would be to sell this building and then to do, go somewhere else or do it in another way. We've thought of a couple of things. All right? One would be to rent another facility. Okay? Another one um, would be to go virtual. Right? Um, at, at least for the short term, you know, where um, a lot of churches have done that. You know? um, those aren't the only options, though. And we understand that whatever we do is going to affect everybody. So what we would like to do is to open this up to everybody in the family. And to, you can tell us what, what you would need to have. For example, if, if we go virtual and you don't have the ability to go online, we would need to know that. Um, if we were to rent a facility, there might be some issues around that for you. Um, you also may be able to help us in another way now. You may have an idea that we didn't think of. And so we would ask that you please um, give this some thought and, and get back to us. Let us know what you're thinking in any of those areas, whether it's a need or a concern you have, whether it's an idea that you have, or it's a way that you can help, and just send it to this email address. This is where we're going to start. Um, info at lbible.org. Info at lbible.org. All right, again, um, as, as Mark and um, Jack and I see it right now, we really don't have much of a choice besides selling this building soon. But we also want to um, be open to any other ideas or any other ways to make this work that you may have. But at the same time, we understand, again, that this, may, this is going to impact everybody. And we'd like to hear from you about any concerns that you have, okay, or any options that would really not work for you. All right. And again, you can just email us at info at lbible.org. Right. I encourage everybody to do so. Just something. Just give us something that's on your mind. Okay, as we as we look at this, making this decision, and what might be the consequences of it. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day to be together. We thank you for this great family that you've gathered around us. We thank you for your Word that, that has all the answers to life, but more importantly, opens our the, the eyes of our hearts to your grandeur, to the amazing person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He's accomplished for us for the great hope we have, the grace that pours into our lives now will continue for all of eternity and help us to keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Help us to realize that you're capable, you have the ability to do everything. When we look at something as impossible, we know that all things are possible to you. And so we ultimately put any of these decisions in your hands and trust and look forward to you gracing us out and blessing us in the best possible way. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And with that, you are dismissed to enjoy this wonderful day.